I'm Drew Holmes. When I started learning to make music, I thought that the only way to have a career in the industry was as a performer. I could not have been more wrong. In more than 25 years in the music business, I've done many non-performing jobs from orchestra librarian to music store owner. But my experience is just the tip of the iceberg. I'm on a mission to explore the exciting and necessary jobs that make performances possible. Come with me as we go beyond the stage. So welcome to the podcast. And so uh, what we're trying to explore in this are careers in music that don't involve being on stage and performing. A lot of people aren't aware of what the opportunities are. So in order to shed light on uh, one of those, specifically music retail, we've got Cindy Haraway with us. So Cindy, thank you so much for agreeing to uh, being on uh, this fledgling podcast and tell us your story. Well, thank you, Drew. Uh, I welcome the opportunity to talk with you, and uh, my favorite thing to talk about is boomer music. So, um, Well, and for the very few people who probably don't know, why do you like talking about boomer music so much? Well, oh, because it was my, it was my, uh, I, I was lucky enough to work my passion, and it didn't feel like work because it was my passion. So we're burying the lead a little bit. Cindy is the founder and the original owner of Boomer Music. So obviously I owe her a great debt of gratitude being the one carrying that torch now. But um, you know, I'm curious about where the origins of that are, what the impetus was and all that. Um, but before we get into the Boomer story, let's get more into your story. Okay. So what got you into music making? You know, what, what was the, uh, the driving force behind that? Well, I remember as a little girl, um, my dad was really into stereos and speakers and things and he used to play records and he played marches and all kinds of different music and I just remember really loving to listen to the music and it made me feel really good and uh, when I was in later elementary school West Side Story came out and he bought that record and I fell in love with that music and still am in love with that music. And I think I drove my parents crazy because I played it over and over and over and over mm-hmm. and over and over. So that was really my first introduction. And then I was lucky enough to go to an elementary school with an outstanding music teacher named Marion Deal. And in those days, we got to have music every day. She had her own music room. And she had rhythm band every other Friday. And all kinds of tambourines and drums and noisemakers and things. And she'd put on records. And we were able to play along with the records. And it was the most fun I had in elementary school. And she even got to the point where myself and another trumpet player... um, she had us go in the other room and write some music. And it's like, what? I don't know how to do this. <laughs> but we actually wrote something and performed it and sang it. So that was my first exposure to composing. And then in I went to Denver Public Schools, and um, we had an opportunity the second semester of fourth grade to pick an instrument. And so I was really excited about doing that because you got to get out of class twice a week for, I don't know, 45 minutes. And that was very attractive to me. (laughs) And so uh, we had an outstanding instrumental music teacher. And um, 
he had us try out instruments, but I wanted to play the trombone. Yeah? Yeah. And, kind uh, of a brassy kind of person, but... <laughs> and uh, what did you choose instead? Well, he looked at my teeth and everything, and he said, uh, I don't think you're a good fit for that. Uh, you need to play something else, like a flute or a clarinet. And I thought, oh, okay. And I went home and told my mom, and she says, I don't know if... You, you want to do clarinet, they have to soak reeds and all kinds <laughs> of stuff. And to my knowledge, there was not a rental program to even do. And my parents, being very practical, asked the neighbor, and she had a flute and a clarinet in her basement. So I got to choose between that, and I'm very happy that I chose the clarinet, even with soaking the reeds sure. and things. Be and it was really a beater instrument, but... Um, I absolutely loved it. We had a wonderful teacher, and uh, I actually took private lessons from our school band director during the summer because it was a conflict of, in of, uh, conflict of interest uh, to, to do that during the school year, but he, I really progressed. Mm -hmm. and, um, and then after uh, the end of elementary school, I got to take from him year-round, and my parents were generous enough to drive me clear across town to his house and pay for music lessons. And he was very strict, but he gave me an absolutely fantastic clarinet foundation. Then I got into junior high school and uh, went to a junior-senior high school in the eighth grade, and they put me in the junior high band. And after first semester, the band director moved me up to the senior high band, and I got a wealth of experience and challenges, and it was fantastic for my progress. And of course, band was my absolutely favorite thing. All my friends were in band, and I would just be so happy after rehearsal. And we were on split sessions, and we started classes at 7 a.m., and I'm, I am not a morning person, but uh, tooting at 7 a.m., but by the time I got out of there at quarter of eight, I was just really happy oh, and yeah. had a lot of energy. But I absolutely loved my band, and I was able to play in the full orchestra as well from, from ninth grade on. And that was a wonderful, wonderful uh, exposure and a wonderful band program. And we had a student teacher that came from Colorado State University mm -hmm. when I happened to be a senior and I got interested in Colorado State University, and my sister had gone there. And I thought it was a beautiful campus, so I ended up going to Colorado State University and majoring in music education. So music ed, that usually leads to being in a classroom. I always thought I would be a music teacher. You know, I would teach band, and I wanted to teach elementary school band because I was raised in the elementary school setting with that, and I thought that would be really great, and my favorite four years of my life was being in music school, and I got to play in the Fort Collins Symphony as a freshman, and... Well, um, while in college? While you were still in school? Yeah. Wow. And I got a scholarship, and I didn't That's even cool. ask for one, and I went to the <laughs> school, and they gave me one, paid for my whole education, not living expenses, but I had... They call it a full ride, but in those days, tuition was $300 a quarter. Sure. But um, so my school education was uh, 
taken care of, which delighted my dad. And uh, <laughs> lived in the dorm for two years. And they had a new music teacher that came to town. And this kind of runs into this whole story. His, his name is, was Raymond George. Um, and I'm still friends with him to this day. He lives in San Diego now. But uh, we're kind of jumping the gun here a little bit. But oh, that's okay. Uh, when I just started, when I decided to start the store, I didn't know what name I was going to name it. And and we'll get into the history of why I started it started it a little later. But um, I've thought, well, uh, Fort Collins music would probably be logical. Sure. I didn't want to name it after a woman's name in those days. You didn't do that. And um, so I thought I need something uh, near the front of the alphabet because I wanted to be first in the phone book. <laughs> and, I, and I needed to fi- decide in a hurry. And as the years went through in college, uh, Raymond George, my wonderful clarinet teacher, uh, we, he got a nickname of Boomer. And uh, now is that uh, is the origin of that shareable for a polite uh, audience? No. Okay. No, but we'll, <laughs> we'll talk after. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was just a, a, it was after a joke kind of thing. But I thought, Boomer, it's going to be at the front of the alphabet, and I like the name, mm-hmm. and I, I was really liked him, and gave me a wonderful experience in college, and we became very good friends to this day, and. Uh, so I named it Boomer Music, and it kind of backfired a little bit because people would call up and say Bummer Music or Boomer <laughs> Music or whatever, and uh, it was pretty humorous, but that was what it was all about. And his caricature is Boomer Music's logo, and I'm so happy that through, um, I think I counted 46 years now, I started the store in 1976, that um, uh, you kept the logo and the name, and that means so much to me. And the logo looks just like he looked in uh, 1976. (laughs) He had kind of long hair on the back and uh, Adidas tennis shoes, and uh, he was a clarinet player, but we put him behind a tuba, and one of my very best friends in college was very talented in art, and she sat down and sketched the logo in about five minutes, and I loved it. And so if you look at the logo, that's my clarinet teacher, Raymond George. Yeah, and I know a lot of people always that look at that wonder, you know, what was the, uh, the origin of this? So, yeah, I'm glad to, to finally definitively get the story down. And uh, as we've done other stuff around here, we've uh, repurposed his logo. Um, for, I with... love it. Every time I come in, I see Boomer Muse, the Boomer Man. I call him the original Boomer Man. <laughs> the logo on, on the vans, of which I never had a van or anything mm-hmm. that fancy, but... Uh, Drew, you've you've grown the business beyond my wildest oh. expectations, and I couldn't be happier about it. But uh, I come in, boomers all over the shirts. He's uh, all over everywhere, and uh, he came out to visit me a couple different times. We came over, and I got a picture of him by the boomer van, and he got such a kick <laughs> out of it. And I sent him a boomer T-shirt, and uh, anyway, I'm so glad that you kept the logo. It just it means everything to me. Oh, it, it's it's so iconic. Uh, you know, the, 
I remember first time that I came to Fort Collins back in 1998, um, seeing it, it's like, there's just something different about this town and there's something different about that approach to it. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, there's something to be said for continuity and, you know, just, I hate to say simplicity, but just, you know, there's a legacy here and carrying that on is, mm -hmm. that's my responsibility. Yes, it is my legacy and I couldn't be happier with the direction that it's gone and uh, it always meant a lot to me to to uh, patronize small businesses and you come in the store and you're looking at the owner and that's how my store got very successful very quickly and um, I was in I got my music education degree and then I've uh, my first job out of college was being a waitress at the Junction Eating Place for 80 cents an hour, and I did that <laughs> in the summer. And then this uh, store, Arapahoe Music from Denver, put a store up here. Uh-huh. And, um, oh, no, letter A. That would be ahead of B. That's right. <laughs> but, yeah. But uh, I, I, I loved working there. I've worked there for about two years, and... Um, then there was a big chain store that came in. Uh, it was Wells Music at the time, and they had they'd been in Denver for years, and they put a store up here. And I uh, uh, I went from Arapaho Music over to Wells Music, mm-hmm. and uh, what I wanted to do was sheet music, and they put me in as the bookkeeper. And I'd never had a business class in my life, but uh, I did that, and I did all. Was, kinds of things in the store and I really kind of learned the business and the reason why I started my own business because I got very frustrated with chain stores Mm -hmm. and they had a general manager in Denver and all of this and people would come in and they'd say I want a B45 clarinet mouthpiece and the general manager said we need to order this and this and this and he said we can't order from all these different places and um to sell them something else and that lit a flame in me and I thought they don't want something you don't understand about clarinet mouthpieces yeah and I got so frustrated and angry that I said I can do this better myself <laughs> so and I knew uh, the reps that that's called on the store so I can remember going across the street to around the corner restaurant and making my opening order with the rep for boomer music and that's why i kind of started it in a hurry Mm -hmm. and um, i found a place uh, near the campus and um, i knew all the since i was an alumni i knew all the professors and some some of the students and i was right off of college in laurel in a 400 square foot space and no bathroom i had to go down the hall for the bathroom but my rent was $400 a month. And um, I opened up in 1976 and um, in a hurry kind of, but uh, I put it all together and I just had this driving passion. And the reason why I wanted to own a music store is because I would go into music stores when I was a kid, I'd never come out. And I was fascinated with everything. I had to look at all the stuff, all the music, and I loved being in a music store, and that was my dream. I got a job offer to teach elementary school strings and voice in Denver and also a part-time job at at a junior high school here in town. 
And I thought, I don't want to do that. I want to own a music <laughs> store. And my dad thought I was crazy. Oh, yeah. Well, th- that makes sense, though, if you think about it, because, I mean, teaching has a certain level of predictability. And, you know, being a business owner, I mean, it's all up to you. Yeah. And w- which is the great and terrible thing. So when you started it, uh, I, I've heard the, the stories. It was mostly sheet music at the time. Or what, what was the plan? Yeah, it was uh, sheet music and accessories. And um, my dad was going to help me with it. He was an accountant. And in order to get the money, I started it on a shoestring, and I had all used fixtures. Mm-hmm. And uh, the the big counter that, that I got was at an auction from the old Loveland Hospital. And I started everything secondhand and got a, a used showcase and all of that. But to me, it was great fun. And my dad was going to help me with the business part because, as I say, I'd never had a business class in my life. And... Uh, he he got me going, and we had the grand opening, and he passed away six weeks later of a, oh. of a cardiac arrest at the age of 58. Wow. And I just wanted to go run and hide. I was scared to death, and I didn't know what to do. But I had a built-in customer base from CSU, and from the Oval to my store was about a five-minute walk. Yeah. And they were nice enough to have me order textbooks for the classes my very first season turned a profit from the very first month and uh it was very fortunate that i had all this support and boomer music to me is more of a community effort it wasn't just me it was a coming together of all the music teachers in town because i played in the fort collins symphony and i knew a lot of them and I would go to them and I'd say, what, what do you want as far as instruction books and what do you need? And they were delighted to have a music store that would listen to them and stock those items. And at sure. the time, I had two other competitors. And uh, one had been around a privately owned music store for a while. And they went out of business um, maybe a year or two after I started Boomer. And um, then another guy came up and started a store. And then a big store in Denver, Flesher Hinton, was shopping storefronts. And I just thought, oh, my gosh, I don't know if I can do this. But uh, luckily, I liked math. And I just knew that you have to keep your expenses lower and your your income higher. And uh, I had a sign in my store, and it was called... I, th- I think I know the one. What happiness is positive cash flow? Thank you. Yes. Thank you, Drew. <laughs> and I had that sign up, and I looked at it every day. And my goal when I first started, it's like, oh, my big wish, if I could only sell $50 a day, I could make this on a $400 uh-huh. salary. And that included the electricity <laughs> and the heat. And it was in um, the, the a, a long white building off the alley between uh, college and and uh, Laurel, and it was hard to find people. They'd call me up and they'd say, "I've been trying to find this store for a long time, but it, well, it's in this alley, and it was oh, right next door to Canino's restaurant." So, <laughs> and they started the same year I did. So I was very lucky, but the support of the town and Will Schwartz, who was the director of the Fort Collins Symphony, ordered all his music from me, and the school teachers were wonderful, and they supported me. So it was really a group effort. It wasn't me. 
Let's take a quick timeout to hear from our sponsors. Beyond the Stage is proudly sponsored by Boomer Music Company, Northern Colorado's band and orchestra experts since 1976. If you need instrument rentals, repairs, sheet music, or accessories, Boomer Music has you covered. Come to our Fort Collins showroom or visit us online at www.boomermusiccompany.com. Thepodcastingstore.com is your one-stop shop for all things podcasting and remote learning and a proud sponsor of Beyond the Stage. Whether you're a novice remote teacher or a veteran podcaster, we have the gear and the knowledge to take your content to the next level to better engage your audience. Check us out at www.thepodcastingstore.com and see what solutions we have for you. Now, let's continue our journey beyond the stage. Well, and how did you manage the growth? You know, how did you know when it was time to expand to the next big thing? Because, yeah, on, on a shoestring, a wrong choice puts you out of business. And so that, that's always been a, a challenge that I've faced. I'm curious as to the uh, origins of it. Because obviously I, I jumped in, you know, many years later, and this was already an ongoing concern. So I, I'm kind of, you know, jealous, but also I would be terrified at that. It's like, how do you know what the right direction is? I was pretty terrified because, well, I never owned a music store before, but I I was good with numbers. It's just, like I said, you bring in more than you go out. And that's why I started with all used fixtures and things. But um, 400 square feet was very, very small. And I'll have to, <laughs> I think I showed you the boomer scrapbooks and saw yes. that. Yeah, you've seen those. Yeah, we did the uh, 40th birthday party a couple of years ago. That's yeah. right, we had them there. And so first I knocked out one wall because there was offices beside me and actually a small office behind me, knocked off the back wall and expanded. And then the store next to me, um, they were a call center, and I used to have to listen to all of those calls, and it drove me crazy. <laughs> but uh, they left, and I knocked out another wall, and then um, I got—I didn't have band instruments yet, and there's no way you can make a profit on sheet music, and. <laughs> We, you can. That's part of my background. I worked for a sheet music distributor, and we had customers all over the world, um, you know, big institutional customers like Boston Symphony, Philadelphia Orchestra, places like that. You have to scale it. I mean, sheet music is so difficult to do, and it's such a niche market, and the mm-hmm. customer base is so narrow. So not not to steal your thunder and refute the claim, it, it can be done, but, man, it has to be done at scale, and there can't be too many players yeah. in the market. And luckily, in 1976, I, and I was only 26 years old, so I was very green, <laughs> but um, there wasn't an Internet right. to, uh, to have to deal with. So people, when they had to order music, they had to come in and do it and mm-hmm. special orders and all of that. And But... Uh, then I thought, I really want to rent band instruments. And by that time, uh, a lot of the competition had left the Fort Collins market. And I uh, thought, how can I do this? How can I start this? And I thought, I'm going to go down to Denver and go to pawn shops and get starting instruments. And uh, my friend Jana Shader Thomas was uh, my stand partner in college, a year younger than me, and she just moved back to Fort Collins and started an instrument repair shop. So she went down with me to Denver to help pick out instruments, and she could fix them up. So we came home with about 20 instruments, 
And I started with used instruments sure. and started my rental program. And then um, I really wanted uh, a franchise, and I tried to get Yamaha Band instruments. And, of course, I was a small dealer, and they really weren't interested. <laughs> and um, But good old Harold Stone, who was the LeBlanc rep, came up to my store, and we really hit it off. And he opened me up with my first large franchise, LeBlanc Band Instruments. And so I started ordering new ones, and that was pretty frightening and expensive. Oh, yeah. But uh, the rental business took off, and uh, after a while, um, there was I had almost no competition. The chain store across town was still in business, mm-hmm. but um, we had a friendly rivalry. And uh, But the rental instrument just exploded, and that is why I was so successful and I loved turning on kids to music instruments. They'd come in at the time they, they would start in seventh grade, and they, they, they had a big summer band music program. And Fort Collins had one of the best public music programs in the whole state. They were always a very strong music town. So people started coming in and renting, and then if they could buy that instrument or they could do a step-up instrument mm-hmm. and sold in that. And from then on, it was very smooth sailing. But just I just wanted to share my excitement of what music had done for me growing up and how wonderful it was, and to turn on these, these kids. And I saw them grow up from seventh grade through high school, through college, and beyond college, turn into professional musicians. So I got to know so many of the students and the kids and the CSU students really supported me and all the teachers. I had all their their method books and everything over at my store, so it just grew naturally. Mm-hmm. Then we got so big, and the storefront downtown, which was total two, two storefronts wide, I moved down there and expanded into getting guitars because they would sell themselves. I wasn't really <laughs> into guitars, but I put a Yamaha guitar up there, and oh, so Yamaha was talking to you at that point. Well, just for, <laughs> just for the guitars, but I'd... not the band instrument division. However, I used to go and hear uh, uh, the public schools perform contests, and I, I loved to go sit all day. And I happened to to uh, meet the the Yamaha rep, John Mills, and he lived in Greeley. And we hit it off, and he found out I had LeBlanc, and he opened me up to Yamaha. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was the rest is history as far as that goes. So uh, I got to meet those those two reps, and um, the whole thing just exploded. And uh, so then uh, I needed more room, and I was basically a one person store. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. How how did you handle? staffing and help and scaling up because you you reach a certain point where there's only so far you can go by yourself and knowing when that moment is to expand is has always been a challenge for me how how did you manage that well um first of all i opened up at 10 o'clock because i'm not a morning person (laughs) and i had to do put in my deposit from the night before at the bank so and and um, as an aside we still open at 10 o'clock now (laughs) isn't it great and uh it always worked for me, and so... Um, well, we cater to musicians. They're still asleep. Or, exactly. Or, or on their way home from the bar, you exactly. know? Exactly, but I did the whole thing, and um, 
then it got to be a little too much. And um, Bill Funky, who is an institution in this town, he was a vocal music teacher and a clarinetist at Poudre High School, and he had retired. So I had to come in on Tuesday afternoon so I could go to doctor's appointments. Mm-hmm. Cause, and I was open on Saturdays also till uh, one o'clock and so I was working six days a week yep. so I got an afternoon off on Tuesday afternoons <laughs> and that that was uh, pretty great and um, then I got busier and so um, the Azari family was very famous in town the string players still are yes and uh, so Catherine Azari was a cello player and she started working for me part-time but I I just pretty much uh was at the store the whole time for several, well, for the whole time I owned it, which was 22 years. And uh, and in the later years, uh, I had a staff, but when I was downtown near College and Laurel, I had one helper. Mm -hmm. And then when we moved out south to um, uh, Thunderbird Plaza, I found my dream storefront. And the parking at the old location and the dirt alley and everything, you know, it just wasn't, I didn't have enough room. So I moved out there and opened up what I thought was a huge store front. (laughs) Yes. And um, got there. And then I went from one employee to probably three or four. And they were all part-timers and they were all customers from the store. Uh, they had grown up, and I would hire high school people, and they turned out to be kind of my adoptive kids. And it was Boomer has always had a family feel to it, and I, you have carried on that tradition, which I really appreciate. But it was—I never had children, so it was—it was my family in a way. Sure. But I felt so fortunate to work my passion. And they always say, well, if you work your passion, the money will come. And luckily, I was able to do that. Yeah, I mean, you do right by people. You get a good staff, and they you know, see what your vision is and, and really enact it and understand you know, you're, you're here to add value. You're here to help people. You know, that, that, as long as you're doing that, that's a success. And uh, you know, I always tell the staff, um, I'm not worried about making a sale today. I'm worried about making the next one. You know, mm-hmm. today we we, we want to show people that what we can do and and do it and and make them you know confident in us. And if if we do that the right way, yeah, the rest of it really does take care of itself. Yeah, and and I was probably very naive. Start. I didn't have a business plan, and I, I went. I I borrowed five thousand dollars from my dad, and my mom said, "You dress up and you drive down to his office and building in Denver." And you talked to him at the office. And so I drove down there, and I, I went to his office, and I said I wanted to borrow $5,000. And uh, he, he was just kind of, what for? You know, <laughs> why, why are you going to do that? And whatever. And I just said, I, I, just, I just have this, I just want to do this. And I wouldn't leave his office until he decided he'd lend me $5,000. Was it still uncommon at that point for a woman to be wanting to be an entrepreneur like that? Yes, and especially a woman music store owner. Okay. Same with high school band directors. You didn't yes. you didn't find women at that time. Even when I was growing up, um, I I loved jazz, but they didn't have girls in the jazz band. 
And uh, so when I went to college, I got a group of, of ladies together, and we started our all-woman jazz band called the Mother Sounds. <laughs> and we were horrible, but we had some fun and had a couple of paid gigs and, and all of that. But uh, things started opening up at that time. So, And then when I moved out south, business exploded. And by that time... Of the chain stores were gone and and all of that. Oh, and, the, and the population of the, of this town was growing leaps and bounds at that time as well. Totally. And totally. so it, you know, riding that wave has not been a bad thing. I mean, it, it's it's still happening now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this is an area that people are moving to, so it's it's not it's not a bad place to be in business if if you can manage it intelligently. Well, being that the strong music program and all the support, like I say, it's the support of the music community that I had is what I really loved. And, um, and the other thing about, you, I think one of the questions that you maybe wanted to ask me was what surprised me most about b- being in retail music. Yeah, most definitely. The friendships I made with staff and with the community, I knew every musician in town. Mm-hmm. And the piano teachers started to support me. And to this day, I have wonderful friends, and they're, they're older than me. And I'm pretty old right now, too. But uh, uh, I had the friendships were invaluable. And people would just come in and chat. And, and they, they came in, and they're looking at the owner. And I got to know people so well. Mm-hmm. But it was an absolute joy. And I... I never looked at it as labor. I worked really hard, but w- when you have a passion, it's it doesn't feel like work. Yeah, exactly. It, it's you know managing what you you know, frankly want to do anyway, yes. and and leveraging that into something you know that I keep saying you know, provides value to the customers and or more importantly the community. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that absolutely. I, I think we're we're definitely aligned in the philosophy that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and but you've kept that tradition too, so tried to, yeah. Because I mean, I don't want to make this about me, but you know, my background. I worked at a store very similar to Boomer uh, back when I was on Long Island, mm-hmm. and that store had been around for forty years at that point. Mm-hmm. You know, family-owned business, and it was still the uh, original brothers that owned it. The, you know, one of their sons was the general manager. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, just seeing that example. I mean, th- this is a relationship business, and the number mm-hmm. of people that would come in and say, "Yo, I'm here to rent Susie a clarinet," and I got my first one here thirty years ago. I mean, that's huge. You know you're getting old when you see your um, your first student's grandkids. <laughs> and so, uh, and the other thing was my philosophy, I didn't have money to advertise. And in those days, it was super expensive. I put one ad in the local newspaper when I opened. And my whole goal was my advertising was word of mouth. Sure. And it worked very well, and I never spent money on advertising ever. Yeah, and but word of mouth is by far the most valuable. I mean, oh you yeah, get, you know testimonials and and things like that. I mean that that's you know again when when you do it right, that stuff comes naturally. Yeah, it, it's it, it's not you know forced at that point. I mean, it, you you build up the reputation and you earn it every single day, mm-hmm. and that's the real trick to it is it has to be earned every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you you can't take a day off from that stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's what we're here for. And I don't even know if I shared this story with you, but early in the boomer music days, um, it it took off well because I had support from day one. But I think it was the next summer. It would have been summer of '77 and. 
middle of July. Um, I maybe had a, one customer or two, and I sold nothing for the entire day. Mm-hmm. And I was devastated. And and just just knowing that another music store would move into town, it took me a long time to, to get very confident. But um, I, I grew with the confidence, and I grew with my knowledge. And uh, then I started getting into school bids. And I would do all my research on looking at the bids from last year, and they would send them to to uh, all of Colorado and even out of state. Mm-hmm. And I would go and study what they they bid on the year before, and I would devise a formula. And you don't make a lot of money on them, but when you do enough bids, yeah, you know, like the, the you make it up in volume, as yeah. they say. Yeah, this is just the uh, the now life or retail junkie in me. What was your worst customer? Cause, oh, I'm glad you asked cause, that cause question. Because everyone always has a, a, a bad customer story. Yes. And uh, you know, th- this isn't to, you know, to say that we pile on, but there's, there's always someone memorable. Yes. Well, first, when the first 10 years when I was downtown, I had a lot of college students, and they were always so happy and wonderful to work with. And... Uh, as we grew and got the rental base going and all of that, and, and we moved out south after 10 years, started getting more of general public and that kind of thing. And I can remember um, there was a couple people that would come in and just be very difficult. And I even I even took a course how to deal with difficult people <laughs> because I just it was it was hard, but it was such a minor part of the business. But um, this one lady come, came in, and she bought a music, a wire music stand and had used it and uh, tried to return it several months later. And I said, <laughs> and at that time, I had, I'm sorry, you know, we, we can't exchange or give your money back after 30 days sure. or whatever. And she went ballistic on me, and I thought she was going to come and attack me, and... So I told, at, at the time when I moved out south, uh, we increased the employee base by mm-hmm. about five people, part-time, most sure. of them. But I finally did uh, expand from that. But I told my helper at the time, call 911. And then there was this other lady in the store that went in the corner, and, and afterwards I found out she was praying for me. <laughs> and then, And then... My helper kind of kind of escorted her out out of the the store, but I was afraid. Oh sure, I was really afraid. But luckily, that didn't happen very often. But you know, you get some folks coming in, and it has really nothing to do with you, but what's going on in their life, and uh, they just you know have to kind of take it take it out on somebody else. But yeah. for the most part, music is a happy thing. And uh, and I loved showing kids how to put their instruments together, and I loved working with my customers. And then at Boomer Music got so big, I had to hang out in the back, and I um, hired a general manager, and I actually started taking Saturdays off. And we were open all day at that time. Mm-hmm. But I actually got Saturdays off after about uh, maybe 12 years. <laughs> Yeah, the work-life balance, that, that, that's a hard one um, to, yes. to know when you're helping and when you're not. Um, I mean, it's, 
at this point, um, you know, my job has certainly shifted, as you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but you assemble a good team, and you trust them to to do their jobs. And it, sometimes it takes it in directions that you hadn't even imagined, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, you, you can't know everything, mm-hmm. and so other people know something, and mm-hmm. you know, turn them loose and, and see where it takes you. And if you have to rein them in, so be it. But uh, yeah, you know that. I'm glad that I'm kind of carrying on a bit of that tradition as well. Yes. That's, that's kind of uh, gratifying yeah. to hear. Yeah, and I didn't really, you'll enjoy this story. I didn't get a computer until uh, the mid-90s. And to to rent the instruments, um, I, I went on a three-month minimum plan. Uh-huh. And I hand-billed every single customer with a pre-printed postcard and I would write in what they would owe and mail the postcards every three months. And hmm. it was laborious. Oh, sure. And so, um, and I didn't really, we didn't have the automatic debits in those days or anything. And I didn't even take credit cards for the first six months. That's how old I am. <laughs> well, and I'll let you in on the secret. We were still using index cards back in 2008. Oh, that, I'm glad you brought that up because I started my store on a shoestring and I needed uh, stock cards, which is when I'd worked at uh, the, the chain store, um, they still had stock cards and they went to Denver. And, and so my mom was a Braille transcriber and she would have mistakes and I would use her. I used her used Braille cards and wrote on the other side. That's how much of a shoestring I was mm-hmm. on. I know how to live really cheap or thrifty. I like yeah. to say, <laughs> very thrifty in the early days. And um, I was always a thrifty child, so maybe that that helped. But I'm. I had a log of everything. And then if we sold the card by mistake, then I my whole log was <laughs> done. But we used those for years. Sure. And uh, it it was just hilarious. And I, I in my scrapbook I still have a a braille card emeritus. And oh, and I also had uh, an instrument that we, I rented it out. It was a Bundy oboe, and I probably owned it for 15 years in my rental fleet. And people would start on it, and then they would come and get an upgrade oboe. Mm-hmm. And that that one oboe earned me more money than any any rental. And I called it my oboe emeritus. And then finally somebody bought it, and I was just kind of sad. Yeah, when I first started, <laughs> we, we had a cello that was that way. And we could tell it was one that had come from uh, a Disney orchestra at some point because it had a little Mickey Mouse G-clef <laughs> on the uh, tailpiece. <laughs> And that sucker kept coming back and coming back like, man, how much money is this thing made? Yeah. And uh, it eventually, I don't know what happened to it. Eventually it dropped out of the rental pool one way or another. But yeah, you definitely have those instruments that are very good friends to you. Very good. Very good. So uh, 1976, opening the store. Mm -hmm. Day one, you unlock it at 10 Mm o'clock. What's going through your head? Uh, scared in some ways and it was funny because in 1976 in July we had the big Thompson flood which was a devastating flood yes I've read about it yes uh, it hit Loveland and at the time I lived in Loveland and all of that and I started my opening order and I was getting UPS shipments to my house oh but it was a very frightening time and things didn't get back to normal for a long time but um 
I opened the store, and my dad got to see the store, and um, that was nice. And my mom had kind of an opening party, and the, the, the Chamber of Commerce came out and did a radio interview with me. I was not really uh, wanting to do that, but it was good publicity. Oh, very much, yeah. And it wasn't the first day, but the first day I opened it, it's like, I've worked really hard, and I've I found my dream store, and just was thrilled. This four hundred square foot store, but I I loved it from day one. But after my dad passed away, yeah. I was just plain scared. I wanted to run. Luckily, I found a uh, a friend of my dad's helped me a little bit with the books for a little bit of time, sure. and and uh, but people thought I was crazy, even. One of the professors at CSU, I told him I was going to open up a music store, and he looked at me and he said, you're going to lose your shirt. Huh. It was an old band director, and, and but the rest of them... But didn't that motivate you? Oh, totally. Yeah, exactly. Like, watch me. Just uh-huh. watch me. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Stage. If you have ideas for future episodes or work in a non-performing role in the music industry and would like to tell your story, please contact me at drew at boomermusiccompany.com. I'm Drew Holmes. Thank you for listening as we explore careers in music beyond the stage. <laughs>